The following is a Thunderbolt West Media production. Preserving food in times of crisis. You are listening to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show with Jim Calhoun. The storm was coming, the sky was on fire, fear was in their eyes. It's my opinion that we should be prepared to lean on our faith and be able to step out on the sea. Thanks for tuning in to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. I'm your host, Jim Calhoun. This show features off-grid topics such as creating your own power, gardening, homesteading, and other issues related to off-grid living. I also seek to educate my listeners about survival and prepping, and I'll talk about anything from government corruption to chemtrails. Also, I feel that our constitutional republic is worth saving. So I never miss an opportunity to do my part in helping to save our republic. I have two main goals for this show. Number one, to help you build your faith in God. And number two, to help each listener become as self-sufficient as possible. This show comes to you from the Harmony Barn Studios, located near Hershey, Nebraska, in the United States of America. The Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show is aired on KYAH, AM 540 in Delta, Utah, Utah's Talk Authority. Also, the show can be heard on 89.3 FM, Key Radio in Osage Beach, Missouri. And on shortwave, tune in to frequency 7.490 WBCQ, Monticello, Maine. This show is also available on demand as a podcast on Anchor, Spreaker, Podpoint, and Podpage. And be sure to visit the website at offgridliving.faith. And I really do appreciate you joining me today. It's good to have you with me today. I sure appreciate you tuning in. And this show is going to be dedicated to preserving food. And I'm going to touch on preserving some common food. And I really want to address the subject of having a freezer full of food and then having a power outage, maybe an extended one to where all of the food in your freezer will spoil. And so I'm going to be touching on that and also preserving other food in this show. World events seem to be spiraling out of control. And as I do my research for the program, I see that we have more of a need than ever to learn how to preserve food. And we need to really learn how to rough it. Because I don't think the news is good. And if I was a betting man, I would bet that we're really close to some cataclysmic world events that are going to be man-made, done on purpose. And so I think that we, the common people of the world, are going to be stuck holding the bag. And so therefore, I think you need to learn how to preserve your own food. I think you need to know how to purify your water. Everything that you're going to need to sustain life 
for yourself and your family, you need to become an expert at. And if you have any comments or if you have anything that you would like me to talk about as far as ways to preserve food or anything else, be sure to shoot me an email. And my email address is jim at offgridliving.faith. Jim at offgridliving.faith. I really appreciate everyone who contacts me. I think that as far as survival is concerned, food preservation is probably the number one topic that we all need to become experts on. Our great-grandparents and those who came before them, they were definitely experts at preserving food. And so if we want to learn how to preserve food, one of the best things to do is is to consult history books and also some how-to books from the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries. Now, the literature is out there. Sometimes you have to hunt a little bit to find it. And also, there's some really great prepper sites on the Internet. There's great prepper websites. There's great videos that you can see on the various video platforms. And so I encourage everyone to become an expert at prepping. Now, I'm putting in my two cents, but I want to stress to everyone that there are people who have made prepping their whole life, whereas with me, it's a necessity. And I'm trying to guide you as best I can. And so I'm learning as well right along with you. Now, some things I've known for years, but I'm going to tell you that some of these prepping sites that I am visiting, I'm learning a whole lot. And so I encourage you not only to listen to my show, which I do appreciate that, but I want to encourage you to seek out every prepper site that you can. Now, some are better than others. Some have a very good presentation. Others, they're a little bit weak in their presentation, but their information is still relevant, and so they need to be listened to. And so I want to encourage you to do everything you can to become a better prepper. I'm going to start out this show by egg preservation, because the last show I said that we needed to really secure our protein source, and one of the easiest way we can secure an ongoing protein source is having chickens. And of course, I'm talking about egg production. And I would imagine that there's going to be enough people who are hungry that those eggs are going to become really good property. So I don't think you're going to have any trouble getting rid of eggs. That's just my opinion. But what if you have to store the eggs and there's no electricity? Well, first of all, putting eggs in the refrigerator does help. It does slow the growth of the different contaminants that can find their way through the eggshell because eggshells are porous. And... Eventually, they'll go bad even in a refrigerator. But moisture seems to be one of the worst enemies of eggs. And I'm talking about storing eggs in a place that is damp. You don't want to do that. Because you don't want to have any contaminants work their way through the eggshell and then make the egg rotten. And so I want to explore several ways to which you can keep eggs without refrigeration for up to a year or even maybe more. And I'm going to talk about several different things, but I want to start with this. If you're preserving eggs, the place where that starts is in the nest. The nest has to be clean, and the eggs have to be clean. Anything that's stuck to the shell of that egg is a possible contaminant that will make its way through the eggshell and make that egg go rotten fairly fast. And so if you keep your nesting boxes clean and keep the eggs clean, That's a great place to start. And what if you get some eggs that are dirty? Well, those are the eggs you eat first. You can clean them up and wash them, 
But when you wash eggs, you're washing off the film that the hen puts on the egg that naturally keeps contaminants out of the egg. And so the eggs you buy at a grocery store have been washed. And when they're washed, they don't have this protective coating. And so store-bought eggs will go bad a lot faster than natural laid hen's eggs that you would produce yourself. So that would be your second thing is don't wash the egg if you don't have to. But if you have to wash it, go ahead and wash it and then use it. Don't try to store it. That's the easiest way to handle eggs like that. And of course, any eggs that crack, use them immediately or throw them out. Do not try to store cracked eggs because it doesn't work. Now, I'm not going to talk about pickled eggs because that's a whole other show in itself. I'm going to talk about preserving raw eggs in their natural state and make it to where when you go to use it six months or so down the road, that you can just crack it and fry it up like you would a normal fresh egg with no issues. Another thing that helps eggs to spoil is having air hit the shell. That can either facilitate helping contaminants get through the shell and also it can facilitate drying the egg out on the inside, which also is not a good thing. One of the easiest ways to store eggs, and the most effective, sounds a little odd. And I'll talk about the ones that are not quite as effective as well, but I want to really hone in on the one that I think that you should do. And like I say, it sounds a little bit odd, but they say that it works 100% of the time. And while these other methods are like 40% to 80% of the time, I'd rather go with that higher percentage. Because we are talking about survival food here. And you need to stretch that survival food as long as you can. So you cannot afford to have any spoil. And the method of storing these eggs to where they stay good for a year or more is to take a container. And just for the sake of example, I'm going to use a gallon-sized container. What you'd do, you'd put as many eggs as you could inside this gallon-sized container and make it to where you can still put a tight-fitting lid on because you don't want to have any evaporation come off of this mixture. Then for every quart of water, you use one ounce of slaked lime, and that's hydrated lime. And if you haven't heard of slaked lime or hydrated lime, you need to check that out. You need to go to your library or do a web search and find out a little bit more about this product. And you can find this at some hardware stores and some home centers. But make sure that it's hydrated lime. Make sure that it's slaked lime because the other lime will not work. And so what you do is you have this gallon-sized container that's full of eggs now. And for every quart, you put one ounce of the slaked lime. And it's a powder. And since there's four quarts in a gallon, you put four ounces of the slaked lime in with your eggs. Then you go ahead and add water and fill it all the way to the top with water. Then take your lid and screw it on tight. That's all you have to do. Those eggs will keep for a long time. Now you might say, well, if you put the eggs in water, wouldn't that make them spoil? Well, first of all, if you're using natural eggs that still have the film on it that the hen puts on when she lays it, that does help. But from my understanding, the lime kind of goes in and seals the porousness of that egg without hurting the flavor. I have to admit that I have not done this yet, but I've done enough research to know that this seems to be the best method. 
And another method that you could try is to store the eggs in dry salt. Now that does work, but you have a large percentage of them that will spoil. And also the salt kind of draws the moisture out and it can dehydrate the egg too much. And so that's not a great way to go about it. But if you have to, and you want to take a chance on your eggs, and again, only about 50% of them will stay good, the method does work. If you can't find any slaked lime, and you're in a pinch and you need to try to preserve some eggs, well, you can put them in salt. Another thing you can do is put your eggs and cover them with wheat bran. Now, wheat bran is getting harder to find all the time. And again, you're going to have a high percentage of eggs that will spoil. But you'll still save some of them. Because if you did not put them in the salt or did not put them in to this brand, you'd have 100% would spoil. So you're still ahead with these two methods that don't work quite as well as the slake line. Another thing you can do is coat the eggs with lard. And the lard will help seal it up. And again, you're going to have a percentage of them that will spoil but you will still be able to preserve some eggs. But an old method that they used to do several hundred years back, they would take one egg and break it, and then they would separate the yolk from the whites, and then they would liquefy the whites. They would whisk it, get it whipped up. And then they would take a paintbrush, and they would simply paint egg white, and they'd cover 100% of the egg with the egg white, and they would let that dry. And when that dries... That will also help seal the egg. And that seems to work fairly well. Another method that people use, and I'm not sure I would even try this, but they use varnish. And they varnish the eggs lightly. And then after they varnish the egg, they take the egg and wrap it in paper. The reason they wrap it in paper is because if you put a wet varnished egg down on a surface, when the varnish dries, it's going to stick to that surface. When you go to move the egg, the egg will break because it's stuck to your table or wherever you put the egg. But if you wrap it in paper, then that alleviates that problem. And I'm sure there's other ways to preserve eggs. Those are just a few. But I think it's really important that you preserve all of your sources of protein. And if you raise chickens and you have an abundance of eggs, go ahead and experiment around with some of these methods. Now, me personally, I'm going to use the first method the slaked lime. But I'm also going to experiment with painting some eggs with the whites of an egg, because that intrigues me as well. I really don't recommend the salt or the bran or the varnish, but I want you to know several ways to preserve an egg, because who knows what's going to be available to us down the road. So we need to become experts at food preservation. And that's why I'm gearing this show this way, is because I want to make each of my listeners self-sufficient. And on the other side of this, I'm going to talk about preserving potatoes. Broadcasting from the United States of America, you are listening to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. Preserving potatoes is very important because potatoes are an important part of our diet. And potatoes are fairly easy to store. 
but you have to follow some common sense advice. Now, potatoes can stay in the ground where you planted them until water gets to them and then they might rot or if it freezes, then you have some problems. I'm going to mention several methods of preserving potatoes. One of the methods will be used if you're going to run out of power and you have no way to keep the potatoes from freezing. And so I guess that's where I'm going to start. And that's storing your potatoes outside but underground. And so you would do what indigenous people throughout the whole world have done for centuries. And that's dig a pit. And so the first thing you'd want to do is find a very dry level place. A place that doesn't get any moisture. Whether it be under a carport or something similar. But just make sure that this is an area that gets no moisture. And if you have no area like that, you might have to stake out a tarp or something over the ground. But you're going to want to extend it about six feet beyond the closest potato to the edge of your tarp. Because you want no moisture to get to these potatoes. Now depending on where you live and how deep your frost line is, that's going to determine how deep you have to dig your pit. So just for this illustration, I'm going to say that you have to go down three feet. Now check in your area what your frost line is. You want to get below that. And I would say you want to get below that by a good six inches to a foot. That's your insurance. But let's say that the climate I'm talking about needs to be three feet underground. Okay, so if that's the case, I would go three feet six inches or four feet down. That gives me a buffer zone. Then you put down a layer of straw or sawdust and you would put that layer about two inches thick. And then you would lay your potatoes on the straw or sawdust. Make sure they don't touch. Put about an inch between each of your potatoes. Then you cover those potatoes with an inch to two inches of straw. Then you simply put potatoes on top of that straw and repeat the process. Now you have to keep one thing in mind. Let's say you're going six layers deep. Well, you're going to have to dig your pit that much deeper because you don't want any potatoes to accidentally be placed above the frost line. And so if you have a lot of potatoes to store, you might have to dig a pit that's five or six feet deep. And again, that's if you have a lot of potatoes. Or you might have to dig several pits. Or you might have to dig a bigger pit as far as a diameter or just dig several more. But the whole concept is to get your potatoes below the frost line and to rest the lower batch of potatoes on top of straw. Then you cover those with straw and then simply put potatoes on that straw. And also if you have good dry sawdust, that works as well. And after you get your pit as full as you can, still below the frost line, then you go ahead and fill in the hole with loose dirt. Now does this sound like a pain to get to? Well yes it is, but we're talking about survival here. And if you have potatoes and you're trying to preserve them, and you don't want them to freeze, well, this is how you do that. You can do the same thing with potatoes in a root cellar, because the root cellar is not going to freeze. And what you would do is just take containers, and again, put some straw, and then put potatoes, and then straw, then potatoes, you layer them like that, and put them in a root cellar. Now, that would be much better than digging a pit, because when you dig a pit, well, you're going to have to go out there with a shovel and move all that loose dirt on the top to get to your potatoes. 
Let's say that you have enough potatoes to get you through the winter, and you have those stored in a place that's easy to get to. But you need to have potatoes for in the spring. That's where your pit comes in. You would store these potatoes over the winter without disturbing them. And then sometime in March or April, you would go ahead and dig them up, and then you would replenish your supply of potatoes. You'd remove all the potatoes at that point. And a side benefit, you can have food stored in this pit, and nobody's going to know that you have food. So you can have hungry people that are marauding could walk right over the top of your potato pit and not realize that you have something stored there. And you can use the same method with, with carrots and turnips and parsnips and beets. Any root crop can be stored this way. And I kind of touched on the second method, and that's having a root cellar. But as long as you have your root crop in a situation where it's not going to freeze, as long as you don't have skin touching skin, in other words, keep your different potatoes or carrots or whatever you're storing, keep them separate. Don't let them touch each other. As long as you keep them cool and dry, and keeping them dry is an absolute must. So you can't store these in rooms that have humidity. They have to be cool and dry. And then you simply use that layer method that I talked about earlier with sawdust or clean straw. You want to make sure there's no possibility of any moisture at all getting to your crop that you have stored. And that's a very tried and true method of storing potatoes. Now you can store onions this way too, but onions tend to dehydrate. So you might have a little bit of problem with onions dehydrating a bit, but that should preserve them longer than if you would just leave them out on a shelf. But what happens if you have a freezer full of food, and I'm talking about a great big chest-type freezer, or even maybe a walk-in freezer, and you have a whole bunch of food, and that's what you're depending on is your survival food. If you lose power and have no way to generate your own, then you're in trouble. And so there's several things that I'm going to recommend that you do. But before I recommend what you should do with this food in your freezer that you have to save if you lose power, I'm going to start with the list. Everybody that has a freezer full of food needs to have a list of everything that's in that freezer. And I'm talking about an up-to-date, very comprehensive list that lists every bite of food that's in that freezer. You need to know what it is, how long you've had it, and how much of it you have. Because if you lose power, the worst thing that you can do is keep opening that freezer over and over, letting the warm air in and letting the cool air escape. Because every time you open that door in that freezer, you're contributing to your food spoiling. So you only want to open it when it's necessary. And if you have a list of food that's, let's say, in a drawer that's beside your freezer, you can sit down and actively plan what you want to take out, in what amount, in what order, and what you're going to do with it. And so what you have to do is get all of your ducks in a row. Make sure that you already have a plan in place. I would call it a what-if plan. What if we lose power and our freezer goes down? And so do your research now. Get your lists done now. And so that way, if you do lose power, you can simply roll up your sleeves and use other methods to preserve your food. Because you can preserve that food. You don't have to lose it. But your chances of losing it 
are much greater if you don't have a plan and you don't have any idea how you're going to save it. So the time to get ready to save the food in your freezer is now, before you need to save the food in your freezer. You need to get that knowledge now. And another thing you need to do on this list is to list all of the ways that you're going to preserve the food that's in your freezer. And so, let's say for the sake of this illustration, you're going to use dehydration. So what you would do is you would take that item that you're going to dehydrate, and you would write down what you have, how much of it you do have, and also how you're going to preserve it when you pull it out of this freezer. And so this list has to be very comprehensive. Basically, it's a battle plan. Because if we do lose power and you have a freezer full of very expensive food, it is a battle. You're battling time. You're battling the elements. You're battling everything that wants to make that food spoil. And so you have to understand that you have to take it very serious. And it has to be job one. You have to drop everything else you're doing and focus on saving that food in your freezer. And because your health and life, as well as your family's, is at risk. And on the other side of the break, I'll talk all about saving that food that's in your freezer. If you enjoy the Living Off-Grid Powered Information Show, I would ask that you consider donating to the show to help cover expenses because we don't get paid here. This is all done by donations. And we do not take anything online as far as PayPal or any of that because of all the censorship. Not that they have shut us off. It's just I'm not going to give them the opportunity. So we're going to do it the old-fashioned way by mail, check, money order, or if you want to put cash in a secure envelope, we would appreciate any donation, any size. Just send all your correspondence to Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, 69143. That's Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, 69143. And your support is greatly appreciated. This next song was recorded in 1902 by the Edison Military Band. America, played by the Edison Military Band. Replace fear with faith. Replace pessimism with hope. Replace despair with determination. And don't be afraid to rely on God and step out on the sea.
You're listening to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show on WBCQ. Welcome to the second half of the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. This is Jim Calhoun, and I want to start out the second half by apologizing for some of the audio issues that I had during the first half of the show. I didn't realize that I had a bad cable. And once I realized that, I was able to clean the audio up without it sounding too funky. But as this show was taped, I had so many things going on that I'm taping very late. And so I'm going to have to use all of my time for editing and producing this show and getting it distributed. And so I know I have a little bit of audio issue during the first half, but it's the information that I wanted to convey. And I think I got my point across. And so Again, I apologize for you having to listen to some of the static that was in that cable. But I'm also recording this part of the show before I start editing, and I'll do my best to edit that out. But I'm sure it's going to leave everything sounding just a little bit odd. But this half of the show should be much cleaner. Okay, let's get back on your freezer. You have to prioritize. Every time you open that door, when the power is off, You're just shaving off the time that you're going to have to get this job done. And so let's say that you have to dehydrate just for the sake of this discussion. Make sure that you already have a dehydrator and not one that's electric because an electric dehydrator is not going to work if the power goes off. And so you're going to have to learn how to dehydrate with wood or another fuel source. But I would say wood would be my primary way I would dehydrate. And so you're going to have to seek out some dehydrators that are designed to use wood as your heat source. And likewise, if you plan on canning some of the food that's in your freezer, make sure that you already have enough canning jars. Make sure you have all of your canning supplies. Because going out and trying to buy canning supplies in a massive power outage is probably the worst thing you could possibly think about doing. First of all, if there's a massive power outage, none of the stores are going to be able to open because almost all of the stores are run off computers. Almost every store uses electricity to do their day-to-day business. And if they don't have any electricity, their computers won't come up, their inventory control will be all out of whack, and a lot of stores simply will not open. And if we have civil unrest and people are looting the stores, well, you don't want to go anywhere near a store. And then also, let's say that stores are open as normal, and there's no looters, except they just don't have electricity. You don't want to be there with dozens of other people that have the same idea, and they're all after what supplies they have left on the shelf. Because the chances of you going home empty are very great. And so let's say you have 25 pounds of an item that you want to can. Well, make sure that you have enough canning supplies to can all 25 pounds of that item. Let's just say you have 25 pounds of frozen green beans. You're going to have to make sure you have enough jars and canning supplies to can 25 pounds so you don't throw any of it away. And also, if you have several people in your house, Enlist everyone's help in getting your projects done. If you have a family of four and only one of you want to work, well, that's not going to work. 
you're going to have food spoil. So you're going to have to make comprehensive plans with with everyone who lives in the house and give them a job, a what-if job. What if the power goes out? What if we have to preserve everything in our freezer using a different method of preservation? Everyone should know what their job is, what's required of them, what's expected of them. Because let's be honest, if it gets so bad that you have to do what I'm telling you to do, chances are that tempers will be short, chances are stress levels will be through the roof, chances are that it's going to be really hard to concentrate on doing what you need to do. So therefore, you don't want to be making plans under stress. And so personally, I would call a family meeting and I would start talking it through. How are we going to save the food in our freezer? And I'm going to tell you this right now. If you have a family of four and you have a big freezer full of food, if all four of you roll up your sleeves and get to work and everyone knows what they're supposed to do and they're pre-trained to do that work, well, then you should not have any food spoilage whatsoever. And that's what I'm aiming this show for is for you to save that food that's in your freezer. Now, a lot of people don't have any food in their freezer as far as survival food, but they just have some day-to-day items. Well, you don't have to get quite so intense saving it because one person could probably save everything in a small freezer pretty easy. But I'm talking about a walk-in freezer or a huge chest-type freezer, a freezer that has hundreds of pounds of food. That's going to be overwhelming. And so a plan to take care of this food needs to be firmly in place. And I stress firmly in place, not tentative. Everything has to really be cut and dried as to what everybody needs to do and how fast they need to do it. Now, of course, if the power goes out and we're in the dead of winter and you're in a climate to where you can use nature to freeze your food, well, then you don't have to get near as intense and you can take a little bit more time. But I'm going to tell you right now that natural frozen food tends to not quite get as frozen, tends to thaw out during the day. And so you have this thawing and refreezing happening over and over, which isn't that good on the food. But in a pinch, it will work. I know that I had no room in my freezer. I overbought a turkey, and I needed to have the place to freeze this turkey. I just took it outside and put it in a, I put it in a plastic tub that had a tight-fitting lid. And I put it in an area where no sun would hit it, and it kept it frozen pretty good. So there are ways to use nature to your advantage. But let's say you live in a climate to where you don't have that luxury. Well, again, you got to plan your work and then work your plan. But if I was to kind of give you some outlines of a plan, this is what I would tell you. I would prioritize what needs to be saved more than anything else. And I think it's the protein. So if you have beef or pork or chicken or lamb or another meat source inside your freezer, everything needs to be concentrated there first. And if you have some frozen corn or something, I would probably put that towards the tail end of my priority list. Anything that's roughage or starch would go to the bottom of my list. And the higher it was in protein, the higher it would be on my list. And also things that have other nutrients, such as vitamins, minerals, or sugars, or things like that, I would put that in the middle. Now, how are you going to preserve this meat? 
Well, if you have a smoker, and it's a natural type of a smoker, you can smoke your meat. You can cure your meat by smoking. And there is an art to that, and it could be kind of tricky getting everything done. But for centuries, people have smoked their meats. I know that the Native American Indians used to hang their meat out on poles and simply let it sun dry, and they would make natural jerky that way. And in a way, smoking is just a sophisticated version of that. And when we're talking smoked meats, pork seems to be the most predominant meat that people will use a smoker with. Now, another way to preserve meat is with salt. And you'd have to have quite a bit of salt. And you'd have to treat this the same way as you did the potatoes. You'd have about an inch of salt. You'd put a piece of meat, make sure there's at least an inch of salt all the way around it, top, bottom, and all four sides. And then you would repeat the process. You would put an inch over the top of the meat. You put another piece of meat down and pack it in real good. You'd have to store this also in a cool and dry place. And while this will buy you some time, it's not the best way to preserve your food. But it will buy you some time. Because that salt will keep all the bacteria out. And one of the keys to this is really packing things really tight. And another way to preserve meat, and I'm going to kind of pick on ground beef right now. If you have some ground beef that you think might go bad, one of the easiest ways to preserve that is to use lard. Now, I've talked about making your own lard before in other programs, and I really do think that everyone needs to learn how to make their own lard. And I hate to keep repeating things that I've said in other shows, but to make lard, you just take tallow, which is the fat. You cut it into squares, about a half-inch square. You put it in a lard skillet and put about a cup of water in the lard skillet, and that water keeps the fat from sticking as bad on the bottom of your skillet, and you render it. And how you do that is you just you turn the heat on medium-high, and you just let it cook down until all the fat turns golden brown and is kind of crackly. Then you pull the solids out, and you can put seasoning on those solids, and then store them away, and then you can just enjoy them as a snack. They're called cracklings. And then what's left over is your lard. And you pull that off the heat and you put it in a container and let it cool. When it cools, it turns kind of a cream white color. Okay, that's the lard I'm talking about. Now what you do is the same way you'd use the salt or how you would use a straw for potatoes. You would take a large jar. You would fry up your ground beef in a hamburger patty. You would put an inch of lard down on the bottom. And then you would put the hamburger patty on top of the lard. You would make sure that the lard went all the way around the ground beef. Then you would cover that piece of ground beef that's already cooked with about an inch of lard. Then you would stack another cooked beef patty on top of that and repeat the process. And that lard will help preserve that meat. And in this way, it'll preserve it for quite a while. And again, you have to have a tight-fitting lid. And you want to store it in a cool, dry place. But I've heard stories of meat keeping for an awful long time preserved in this way. Now, if you have a bunch of steaks or roasts, and you want to use this method to preserve, I think it would be best to take your roast or your steaks or whatever you want to preserve this way, and go ahead and put them through a food processor, and grind it and turn it into ground beef. 
Now, you might be able to do this with roasts, and you would cook the roast and then slice it pretty thin. You would slice it no thicker than a half inch. Probably a third of an inch would probably be the best. Then you would lay a slab of this roast beef down, then cover it with lard, and then another slab of roast beef. I don't know how this would do with cooked steaks. It would probably preserve them, but I would imagine the steaks would get tough. That's just my opinion. I've never tried that. And since I've never tried that, that's just my opinion. But I know in preserving ground beef, that really works. Now, you notice the methods I'm talking about don't use electricity or very much power to do. You can make lard with a wood fire. And so in a pinch, you can use these old methods to preserve an awful lot of food. One of the best ways to preserve food is to do traditional canning. And so learn how to can meat with a pressure cooker and your regular canning jars to where you have something on your shelf that's very convenient and very safe that'll last an awful long time. And again, you want to store these jars in a nice, cool, dry place. And in that way, you can keep your protein source from spoiling. And so I've given you several methods. I didn't really go in depth on canning because there's so much out there on how to can using traditional canning methods. I wanted to kind of think outside of the box. But I do want to mention that traditional canning is probably the best and safest way to keep your food fresh. The next thing I'd preserve in your freezer would be anything that would be pre-made. Let's say you have some frozen bread dough, the type that you take out of the package and then you bake it. Let's say you have no way to bake your bread. So how are you going to save this bread dough? Well, what you're going to do is you're going to take the bread dough out and let it thaw. And then you're going to roll it out. Roll it out as thin as you can. And then what you're going to do is make crackers out of this. You're going to try to roll this out. It's going to take a while. Go ahead and roll it out. You can use a frying pan or a Dutch oven. You can either bake it on top of the stove with your Dutch oven, or you can go ahead and fry this dough. But you don't want to fry it in any fat, because the fat is what's going to make it go rancid. And also, if you cook it until it's really good and hard, like hardtack, it'll keep for an awful long time. Then what you do is put it into an airtight container, and again store it in a clean, dry place. While it might be kind of hard to eat, in that way, being a nice little brick that you just made. What you could do is you could take and break that brick up and make crumbs out of it. It might take a little bit of doing to do that. But that's a good way to save that frozen bread dough. You didn't have to throw it away. And you can use it as bread crumbs or you can also use it as crackers. Now, what if you have some prepackaged food, some pre-made food like pizza and things like that? Well, that's going to get kind of tough because you can't use any of these other methods to preserve this. And so I would say that if I was making your plan, I would say everything that's pre-made, like pre-made pizzas or burritos or egg rolls or something like that, is what you would use immediately. You would not use any other food but that. And so you may have to live on this frozen food until you use it up. But if it's packaged and the package is intact and no air can get to the product, as long as you keep it in a cool place, 
it'll last outside your freezer for a couple of days, as long as you keep it in a very clean place and a very cool place. But you would want to eat it as fast as you could. Now with the frozen vegetables, I would simply can those. I would use traditional canning methods, and I would go ahead and take all of my frozen peas and corn and green beans and whatever else you have, and go ahead and can those. Now if you're a pie maker, and you have some frozen pie filling, such as pumpkin or something, inside your freezer, that will also be pretty hard to keep. And so anything like that, you're going to want to go ahead and use that as fast as you can. But if you have any currants or anything like that that are frozen, you can always take that and make jelly. And another method on meat that I forgot to mention is you could go ahead and make jerky. That's a great way to preserve your meat. Now if you have chicken in your freezer, chicken is a little bit harder to preserve. But one method is to use the lard method. You'd go ahead and cook the chicken and make sure you debone it to where it's just chicken. And I think it would be best, this is just my opinion, not to try to save the skin, but just save the actual meat itself. So you would not preserve the skin or the bones. And then you can put a layer of lard down, then a layer of chicken, and then another layer of lard. And also you can can chicken pretty easy. Go ahead and use your pressure cooker. And also you can can chicken and noodles or chicken soup. There are ways you can utilize that chicken. But sometimes you have to think outside the box. Some people like to freeze milk. Now, I don't like frozen milk. I think it tastes funny. But there's a lot of people that do keep a gallon of milk in their freezer. And so with the milk, you're either going to have to let it sour and make cottage cheese, which is very doable, or you're going to have to use it as fresh as you can. In other words, thaw it and then drink it. But if you have a plan to make cottage cheese and you already have the ability to make cottage cheese because you've done your research and you're ready to do it, you can make some excellent cottage cheese out of milk. If you have frozen fish, I do know that in years past people have salted fish, and they preserve fish in salt. And I do know that they do can salmon and mackerel and sardines. So I do know that fish is cannibal, and also you can use salt. But I've never preserved fish. And so I'm not an expert at that, so I need to do more research. A lot of people buy their noodles that are frozen. They're probably the easiest item in your freezer to preserve because you would simply take them and make sure that you lay them out to where they're not touching each other. You put them out on a cloth and let them air dry for several days. Even though I know a lot of these noodles are pretty thick, the ones that you get that are frozen, they still will dry. It's going to take them a little bit longer to dry. But if you have really thick noodles, you might have to slice them in half, which is going to take some time if you slice each individual noodle in half. But if you're trying to save your food, you have to do what you have to do. Well, it looks like I'm running out of time in this show, and I have several other things I want to talk about. So next week, I'm going to pick up where I left off, and I'm going to still talk about food preservation. But I know I'm going to have some other things I want to talk about next week as well. But I do want to tuck in what I didn't get to during this show for next week. But the point that I want to get across is that with a little bit of effort, you're going to be able to save that food that you have in your freezer and your refrigerator. And another thing that I would like to stress to my listeners is that no matter what happens, do not panic. 
Panic is the worst thing you could possibly do. If there's one human trait that has cost more lives and more misery than any other trait, I think it's panicking. So don't panic. That's the bad P word. The good P word is plan. So plan, don't panic. And if you plan well, the chances are you're going to be just fine. Well, I hope this show has helped some people today because I really do feel like the world is really spiraling out of control. And I don't know how much time we honestly have left before the big event that's going to change the world happens. But if I was going to put a comparative date as what date it would be in in another point in history, I would say that we are somewhere in late November or early December of 1941. Because we all know that December 7, 1941, the world changed forever with the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And I just have a feeling deep down that we are close to another Pearl Harbor type of an event. I don't know if it's going to be a sneak attack or what it's going to be. But I think that there's enough evil in the ether right now. I know a lot of people feel it. I wish it would go away. But instead of it going away, I feel it stronger every day. And it seems like that we have people that are just literally hell-bent to change the world and make it into their image. And to that, I got to say, why? Why does the world have to change? Why do we have to have computers taking our jobs? Why do we have to make society change? Because society is so bad, and so they're going to change it to where we let pedophiles have drag queen story time? That's an improvement? Illegitimate Joe Biden is an improvement? On what? So I think the world is full of insanity as far as our quote-unquote leaders are concerned. And I'm going to stick by my gut hunch feeling that I think we're all going to be forced off grid sooner than later. So I'm going to devote the next several shows to helping you survive the things that I think that are going to happen. Now, just because I think they're going to happen doesn't mean that I'm right. And I really hope that I'm wrong. But if I have these gut hunches this strong and I don't share them with you, well, then I'm part of the problem. And I would rather be part of the solution. Before I get back to today's topics, I'd like to invite each and every one of my listeners to send me an email. My email address is jim at offgridliving.faith. Jim at offgridliving.faith. I really need to know who's listening and where you're listening from, whether it's by shortwave or podcast or on AM or FM radio. Even if you just pop me an email and say hi, I would appreciate it. And as always, I invite listeners. Give me some suggestions of topics that they'd like to hear me cover. I would really appreciate that. Once again, my email address is jim at offgridliving.faith. And also, please visit the website, and the website is offgridliving.faith. And also, you can find links to even more information, and also, every one of my shows is uploaded on the website. And before I end the show, I wanted to do an update on some of the things that I'm seeing as far as in nature that are, let's just say, odd. 
and I'm not seeing anything that's really normal this year. Now, I know we've had a very bad drought year, and I know that the dust and the dirt and the hot wind really does affect all of the small creatures. I do understand that. But also, I live only about a 100 yards from a pretty large river, and it's bottomland. And so bottomland along a river generally does not get affected as much as the upland type of ground. And I've only seen a handful of turtles. I've seen maybe five toads. Just things just aren't normal. Now, in a normal year, I would see hundreds of turtles and hundreds of toads, if not thousands. And also, I've only had to clean my windshield off one time this entire summer, and that was last week because I drove through a bunch of flying ants that were mating, and I must have squished, oh, a hundred or so on my windshield. But up to that time, I've made it a point not to clean my windshield just so I can see what kind of bug activity is out there because I drive up and down this river bottom at night, and generally you have to clean your windshield after every trip. That's normal. Well, I've went all summer and not cleaned it. I don't know what the drop in insect activity would be using just that simple little method of gauging how many insects are out there flying around, but normally, on a normal evening, you'd probably have anywhere between 50 and 150 places where you smashed a bug on your windshield and you had to clean it off, and that would be every time that you drove your car. And up until I hit those flying ants, I had seven marks on my windshield where I hit bugs, and that's all spring and all summer. I'd, I wiped the dust off my windshield on days that the dust was really heavy, but as far as scrubbing the bugs off, I haven't had to do that all year until this past week. And also, the monarch butterflies never did show up, and they normally do. And I'm noticing that the flocks of birds are really small. They're starting to gather for their migration, but there just isn't any numbers. And normally, along this river bottom, we have lots of hawks and owls and birds of prey of all types. And I've not seen one sparrowhawk this year, and normally we have hundreds of sparrowhawks. And I haven't seen any sparrowhawks. I haven't seen any golden eagles. I haven't seen very many red-tailed hawks. And only a few owls. And each summer, at night, the screech owls can be amazingly loud. And if you don't know what they are, they can be very unnerving because they're very persistent and loud little owls. They sound very similar to a female human screaming. And when I was a young boy, I remember I ran into the house and told my dad that there was some women out along the river that must be getting hurt because they were screaming. So my dad ran out of the house and he heard the screech owls and he started to laugh and he said, well, I guess I've never told you about screech owls. And so that's how I learned about screech owls. And normally, the screech owls are horrible. I mean, as far as they're just constant. This year, I have not heard one. So definitely there's something going down, not only with the politics and all that garbage that our government and the governments of the world are putting their people through, but there's also a lot of evil afoot against nature. It's not caused by the normal run-of-the-mill person. The landowners are not doing it, and the people that are out enjoying the 
public places like the lakes and the wildlife refuges and things like that, they're not destroying it either. But today, I woke up to the sound of helicopters circling the river, and they had spray booms on them. And the helicopters just fly in big patterns, and they just go in circles, and they go really low, and they spray. They say they're spraying the plants that are not native, that they're trying to get rid of all of the non-native plants. But I'm here to tell you they're killing everything along the river. And for the next 10 to 15 years, all that's going to grow is thistles and sandburrs. It's absolutely criminal. But I thought it was time I gave an update on that situation. And I do hope that someone has got something from this show today. I do appreciate all of my listeners. And I appreciate each and every listener that sends their support, either by simply contacting me and saying hello or financially supporting this show. Because this show is funded entirely by you, the listeners. And I would love to keep this show on the air as long as possible. But to do so, I would ask that you consider supporting this program with a financial donation. I take checks, money orders, or cash, and you would write the check out to Thunderbolt West Media, and you would mail to Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, 69143. And your support is greatly appreciated. Again, thanks for listening. And until next time, everyone, stay safe, stay strong, get informed, really learn methods of preserving food, really become an expert at that. Your health or possibly your very life might depend on it. Keep your powder dry, but most important, replace fear with faith. This is Jim Calhoun with the Living Off Grid Power and Information Show. The song Step Out on the Sea is performed by Brit Small and Festival. Thank you for listening to Thunderbolt West Media.